On the Empire Podcast this week, we go toe-to-toe with the action titan that is the Ray 2's Gareth Evans. We ask the quiet one, Sam Claflin, to speak up a bit, and we tackle the brilliant Calvary. All that and much, much more on the movie podcast that lost all its money in the Grand National last week. But then when you bet on a horse because it's named after a rubbish Gene Hackman, Tommy Lee Jones movie, frankly, you're asking for it. The package you let me down. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, back on Podding Duty and welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, custom and a trifling HR policy designed to ensure I'm never in a room with fewer than four people after an incident that's been blown out of all proportion, quite frankly, dictates I'm joined by three colleagues. First up is our geek queen, a lady so immersed in the arcane arts of the nerdy that she can have a conversation with you about Captain America's helmet and Thor's massive hammer and keep a straight face throughout. It's Helen O'Hara. I'm sure I don't know what you mean, Chris. I'm not sure anyone would, would giggle at either of those two expressions. Next up is the irrepressible whippersnapper who edits a podcast and he's always moaning about the fact he never gets to do a set visit. Well, last week he broke his duck in spectacular style. Didn't you, Ali Plum? Tell the lovely people where you were. I can't. You can. Am I allowed to? A little bit. I was told that I wasn't allowed to. All right, don't then. I won't then. Excellent. Uh, and last but not least is a younger whippersnapper who's making Ali look old, making his debut on the pod. It's our staff writer, Ben King Kirby. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I should, I should be wearing a special hat or something. You should be, yeah, or a special T-shirt. Yeah, you've all got T-shirts. Um, everyone here has a thing. So Phil has an art house thing. Helen's a geek. Ali edits things and moans about things. And those quizzes. What? Don't shake your head. What's your thing well, that, I can, that I can exploit to comedic potential? Then? I mean, I help Ali edit podcasts sometimes and help mm-hmm. him moan sometimes. Um, and also, if you Google Ben Kirby, the first thing that comes up is a very good-looking man in his underwear who isn't me, uh, who is apparently an underwear model in America. And so everyone often mistakes me for a very handsome underwear model, understandably. Gosh. And uh, yeah, I've had the occasional email. You, wow. do, you do sound like a very handsome underwear model. You I'm are wearing so. nothing but underwear right now. Yeah, that was the way the t-shirt out. thing. They're, no, they're meant to go um, around your waist, though, uh, not on your head. Damn. Are you talking to Ben or me? Ben. Oh, okay. I don't. We've given up on you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I like to roam free. Okay, it's time now for your questions that you've been sent to us via Twitter and email all week. The first question is from someone who shall remain nameless and uh, for reasons that will become obvious. He says, I'm going to be proposing to my girlfriend next week. Wish me luck. Good luck, nameless Good luck. person. I was wondering what you consider to be the best movie proposals apart from the one it when Harry met Sally. Interesting. Hmm. Best movie proposals. Yeah, I, um, I'm not sure I've got really proposals so much as general declarations of love, but uh, I think if you if you ever need to get romantic, uh, you can do a lot worse than look to Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, I would personally go for the, um, the, the Gerard Depardieu starring one of, what, 1991? Because the English translation by Anthony Burgess is also brilliant. Uh, the poetry there is absolutely fantastic, but really um, it's just wildly romantic and utterly fantastic. So I would uh, say go to that, take some inspiration and, you know, you'll probably do well because you've got a smaller nose than him, probably. Maybe not, though. Well, I mean, I'm assuming. Yeah, he might have a massive conch. Pretty darn big to be bigger than Cyrano's. This is very true. Very true. Ben? I've got a soft spot for the proposal in Rocky 2, where Rocky proposes to Adrian in a zoo, and he uh, uses a tiger as his backdrop. And it's one of the most awkward proposals I've ever seen in my life. I know that's kind of the point, because Rocky's not great with words, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's it's really quite awkward. He kind <laughs> of he asks her, she doesn't hear, and then he lifts up her earmuffs and then asks her again. She goes, oh, OK. And then they kiss, and then he invites the tiger to the wedding. So if he wants to take her to the London Zoo and... Uh, and propose in front of the tigers. Maybe that could be an idea. Okay. Uh, what was it? Spider-Man Three gets a lot of flack. Yeah, it but does. there's a there's a nice funny little sequence. It actually doesn't end in the proposal, does it? But with uh, Bruce Campbell and Tobey Maguire, Bruce Campbell as the the horrible waiter uh, who uh, <laughs> interferes with uh, Tobey Maguire's attempts to propose to Mary Jane with the with the little ring in the glass and everything, mm. and it's all it's all very funny and amusing. There's a similar scene to that in um, Everyone Says I Love You, uh, the Woody Allen film, where uh, Edward Norton's trying to propose and uh, in a restaurant and it all goes a bit pear-shaped with the ring. Don't put the ring in food, is what we're saying. That that doesn't always end up well. I've got another declaration of love rather than a, an actual out-and-out proposal. I, I would also say the wedding singer needs a mention because that song is in my head most days. Mm. I do, all I want to do is grow old with you oh not uh, somebody kill me please no no that is in my head but not as a song love actually also probably you know it's got two or three or four or five you know rick grimes proposing to her off pirates of the caribbean with bits <laughs> of card i hate that scene i hate everything it stands for what does it stand for adultery it, yeah 
<laughs> it stands for Rick Grimes being a twat. And a waste of cardboard. Yeah. And poor Chiwetel as well. Sitting there not knowing anything about yeah. it. Watching telly. He doesn't know. What is going on? It's ridiculous. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so I want to mention uh, The Fisher King. And there's a really, really wonderful, sweet, romantic, lovely moment that I, for whatever reason, didn't make it into our 25 most romantic moments of our lifetime feature, which you can check out online, as well as obviously in the mag from a couple of months ago, February, imagine that, where Robin Williams Parry, who is a actually quite unwell man, but a very sweet man um, who's suffered a lot. He's wearing a white, big white, too big for him suit with black pinstripes and he's speaking to Lydia who is Amanda Plummer who is a kind of a lost soul in the city of New York and it includes he essentially just says to her they're walking down the street after a really lovely date and she goes well I know what's going to happen next you're going to want to go up to my apartment and then we'll probably have a coffee but you don't drink coffee so we'll probably have a drink and then after we have a drink and get to know each other we might sleep with each other and then we wake up in the morning then I'll get your number and you'll get my number and then you know I'll feel great for an hour but then you won't call me as much as I'd like you to and then I feel like it isn't working out and then okay I'm leaving bye so she runs off and then he chases after her and essentially says well to be honest with you I and this is odd but I've been loving you from afar for years and here's why and he uses lines such as I have a hard on for you the size of Florida uh, which is just so romantic <laughs> wow. and I know out of context that sounds horrible but Massive it's, done, it's done with that big you know Ron Williams beardy grin mm. and it's also got you know this line which I wish I could use more but I think you're the greatest thing since Spice Racks you know this is the mid 90s early 90s 1991 this was so you know Spice Racks were really cool then but yeah it's it's great I honestly love it you should so check it out if you haven't seen The Fisher King already it got Robin Williams an Oscar nomination and uh, Mercedes Rule actually won for best supporting actress who isn't in this scene but you know I'll tell you what else is awesome Um, it's not so much a proposal but the kiss montage from the end of Cinema Paradiso, that would be a good backdrop to any any kind of romantic gesture or proposal. And of course, we haven't mentioned, you know, the likes of Gone with the Wind, which is all swoony and, and lovely and beautifully dressed. Um, and, and that's got quite a good declaration of love in it as well. There's a really interesting one in Romero's Dawn of the Dead, where Stephen, played by David Emge, uh, proposes to Galen Ross's Fran. And it's really weird and horrible and bleak because it means nothing. And he's desperately trying to cling on to some semblance of normality, some semblance of, of society. Uh, and and, it, and it's it's horrible. It's, up, you know, and oh, it, it's it's making me shiver quite thinking about it right now. But yes. <laughs> so that's a nice, uh, yeah. yeah, nice tip. For, yeah. yeah, so don't do not do that. Yeah, don't do that, uh, person who shall remain nameless. Don't uh, trigger a zombie apocalypse and then propose to your lady in the in the aftermath of all that. that Wise words for all of us there. To that be fair, be he could take a leaf out of Rick Grimes' book, you know, if that were the case. He could. <laughs> Everything comes back to Rick Grimes. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question. This is from at OB08 via Twitter. If you could get the original cast members back to do one more carry-on, what genre or historical event would you like to see lampooned? I would like the NSA, recent NSA problems, uh, the phone hacking and all that kind of stuff, be uh, remade as carry-on up the cyber. Oh... oh. I honestly have nothing for this question. That's good. <laughs> that was That's pretty good. good. We could do a, you could do a superhero film with Carry On cast, Carry On caping. Sid, if yeah. Sid James was Superman, though, that would be dangerous with his X-ray vision. I'm not sure yeah. that should happen. I'd love to see that. Sid James is Sidney Wayne. <laughs> a, a, a billionaire playboy. <laughs> you know, Kenneth, Kenneth Williams would be an amazing Joker. That's how true. Could, he has the nostrils for it. How could you not see it? that? Yeah. Absolutely, that that would be amazing. Can someone work on resurrecting the the Carry On cast and making this happen? Bernard Breslau as the Penguin. <laughs> it's just it's all fitting into place. Barbara Windsor as Harley Quinn. Oh my god! This is going to be awesome. And then Hattie Jakes as Catwoman. Obviously. Yes. 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 Ooh, meow. Scientists. Get, get on this make yeah, this happen if, you, if you're not too busy curing cancer if you could just investigate yeah. resurrecting people yeah I mean bring them back as they were not as they are now Although that would be carry on the walking yeah, dead yeah because again yeah. we've discussed not triggering a zombie apocalypse don't trigger a zombie apocalypse it's not the way to declare wah, your life wah, 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 munch some brains etc <laughs> and, yeah so that's it that's it. That's the best movie ever made, isn't it? Right there, right there. <laughs> what, carry right. on zomb- carry, zombies? Yeah, no, carry on caping. It's amazing. Oh, okay. Next question is from at NC Lowe, a uh, regular contributor to the podcast. What's your guilty pleasure TV? I'm addicted, she's saying this, I'm addicted to Police Interceptors, UK Border Force and Bar Rescue. I don't know any of those is programs. Is UK Border Force a program? I thought it was <laughs> it a, is, a, it, a I think it is actually literally about the UK Border Services. Oh. 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. Smuggling and all sorts, but Amazing. not in a cool Han Solo way, in a really Amazing. kind of nerdy way. Don't tell the bride. That's obviously, we all love that. Obviously. Obviously. Come on. Obvs. And MasterChef doesn't count. MasterChef does count. And I don't think that Great British Bake Off counts either, or the Great British Sewing Bee. What about the Great British Menu? No, I don't think that is either. It ends in a really posh, like, it's, okay. it's got too high. It, the production values are too high. It's got to be a little bit shonk. And this is where my one, I think, if you haven't seen it, you you have to watch it. It's called Sport Relief's Top Dog, presented by Gabby Logan. And it's got a series of really lovable, <laughs> wonderful C, D, E, F, G, you'll run out of notes, list celebrities who come along with their dogs and do tricks with them and try and, you know, catch a ball a certain number of times or whatever for Sport Relief and to, you know, make money for charity. So it is a good thing, totally. But it's just obviously made for the price of a pack of peanuts. It is so cheap. You can see the backboard just wobbling as they're talking. But to see Ainsley Harriet, you know, far about throwing a ball at a bunch of fake coconuts is amazing. Also, Sally Gunnell, Caprice, Danny Baker, they're all there. These are strange names for dogs. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> and one DJ who I don't know, but he works at the BBC somewhere, he's called OJ. And he had a, a dog called Lebowski. And I really liked oh, obviously. that there was so, a dog called Lebowski. Someone in this day and age is called OJ. Mm. I mean, it could be OJ. It could be OJ. It's not OJ. It's not. We've checked. It's a different person. That's a strange nickname to take. Well, maybe his first, you know, his initials are O and J. Maybe he really enjoys orange juice. Show me the bone, Lebowski, or show me the ball, Lebowski. Appeal to me. So that's my crap TV love. Uh, it should be on iPlayer. Amazing. Helen, um, it, it strikes me that you obviously you like long walks to the park, yeah. theatre, culture. Uh-huh. Culture, yeah. It doesn't strike me that you would be watching the Jeremy Kyle show or equivalent. No. I do watch, um, my, my kind of brand of TV is probably the Food Network. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of sit there watching food porn, essentially, and, and drooling like Homer over a donut. Um, my, my particular, my particular favourite is Barefoot Contessa with Ina Garten. Um, but I'm not sure that's really guilty pleasure because she appeared in an episode of 30 Rock, which I'm pretty sure makes her pretty cool. If you haven't heard the if, Josh Brolin interview from a couple of weeks ago, he lists his top six favourite like Food Channel TV shows. Mm. And he's not as big a fan of Man vs. Food as I am. But he, Oh, my God. He he loves stuff. So if you haven't listened to it already, go back and listen to it. Definitely. Also, food. also that they have a they have a show called Cupcake Wars on the Food Network. Sounds good. Where you literally competitively make cupcakes. Oh, it's so exciting. Sounds real good. Um, yeah, Manfred's food's amazing. I love Adam Richman. I wish one day he would appear in this podcast with a massive pork loin, uh, and we could talk to him. It'd be uh, that'd be astonishing. Hopefully, um, he'd be wearing pants over his pork loin. Does an entire channel count as guilty pleasure? What, BBC Two? Yeah, Sky Sports News. Yeah. That's my thing. I was going to say BBC Three, but it's getting cancelled soon. But that's got uh, Snow well, Mary avoid. No, it's not getting cancelled. It's going to the iPlayer. That's so true. It's got, you know, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be available to all. Uh, yeah, Sky Sports News for me. Uh, I love uh, Wanted to Down Under. Does anyone know this programme? It's a TV programme that follows uh, families from Britain uh, who want to emigrate to Australia or New Zealand. So Nikki Clark, formerly of Pop Idol. Uh, is the host of this and she goes with them basically to get a week's jolly to Australia or New Zealand and they look around three houses that you know they they probably can't afford and they talk to someone about their lifestyle and it's great it's rubbish but it's great because you know you're just kind of going oh I'd quite like to do that that'd be alright go down edit Empire Australia that'd be alright so is this like escape to the country except escape to another country yes it's like location 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 but it's like relocation mate you know it's like that in fact there is there is an Australian edition of location 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 where Phil because he lives half the year apparently with his wife in Australia he takes takes them down to Australia and I think he's just there because he lives there anyway so it's easy for him and they take them around houses and it's mostly good to watch just because the houses are so cheap compared to London that you just get really sad because they've got amazing views amazing weather and they're about half the price my God. I would just like to say hello to all the people who occasionally tweet at me from Canada, America. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope, <laughs> I hope this means anything to you. Listen, hey, if, if I'm, can I'm down- transatlantic here. Yeah. The, the Food Network is international. It speaks to all of us. If people can download American TV in this country, they can make an effort and watch Wanted Down Under or Sky Sports <laughs> News. A minute you have to download 24 hours of TV, it's a bit difficult to catch up, but honestly... It's amazing. Did you know, and I'm giving this away a little bit, this is going to be in the next issue of Empire, the 300th issue of Empire, did you know that uh, James Bobin, the director of Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted, his dad is an anchor on Sky Sports News, David Bobin. Did you know that? 
I, I didn't, but I'll be honest, my, my, my levels of caring kind of gave out there halfway through your, your statement. My, mine gave out after you said the statement. Ben? I'm interested still. Carry on. Good, good. Well, I have no more. That's it. Oh, that's it. Thanks for your questions. Uh, if you have any more for us, do send them in. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Uh, you can use the hashtag Empire Podcast or Chance Story One Suit. You can email us podcast at EmpireOnline.com or you can Facebook us. No one ever Facebooks us. Just complaints and stuff. It's just, you know, it's like nude pictures. Thank you for the people who do. <laughs> but thank you, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, and the nude pictures are great. Mm. Love the nude pictures. But more questions, please. Uh, right. Okay, time now for our first interview. Norwich City's loss is cinema's gain. Sam Clathen could have become a professional footballer with his hometown team, but opted for the bright lights of movie sets instead of the turgid grind of a relegation battle. Smart move. After gracing blockbusters like Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides and The Hunger Games 2, or The Hunger Games Catch a Fire, it's more accurately known, Helen staring at me there going, get it right. Uh, he stars this week's Hammer Horror, The Quiet Ones. He popped in recently to talk to Helen and Phil. I knew that. Enjoy. I saw you show you something to this tweet yesterday. Sam Neill. Apparently Stephen Fry got him into Norwich. What? Yeah, so Sam Neill's the latest. The Norwich? He came to Norwich? Sam Neill was in Norwich? I don't know if he came to Norwich, but Stephen Fry's introduced him to the concept of Norwich City. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That's hence, really exciting. Hence Our now, new Delia Smith. Your new Delia. He's the man from Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's fucking genius. That is great. There you go. Do you need a new Delia? You've still got the old Delia. Um... I'd like, you know, I, I want I want her to find love now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to set her up with Jurassic Park. Um, Alan. Is it Alan? Um, I can't remember. It, it, it is. Alan. I think it's Alan. Alan I don't Grant. Know. Yes, yes, that's right. Okay. With Alan. Well done, us. Yes. So somebody was literally making, like, Scooby-Doo noises. I mean, worse, I think. What kind of, like, just... Well, just... It, there, was a, there was a moment in the film where, you know, there are some noises off stage, off, off stage, off uh, off screen, and um, so we'd all react at the same time, and you know, do our stupid, ugly, scared faces at the same time. He decided he was going to vocalise said furniture moving, um, so you'd get this uh, scrape, screech, bang. Like, and there was also a moment where someone had to walk down the stairs. I think that was when we. <laughs> That was the final straw, I think, because we're all laughing so hard. It was like he wasn't watching the monitors. He was so invested in his little path in the film. Um, he was like, okay, and action, scrape, you know, totally into it. Um, but anyways, he was then trying to imitate someone walking down the stairs. There were stairs in the house, as you can imagine, but he tried to go and step, 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 stairs, <laughs> and creaky stair, and clap, clap, bang. You know, we were like, why don't we just have somebody <laughs> walk down the stairs, jump on a few stairs when you need the bangs, uh, yeah, and they are, were creaky stairs? Uh, anyway. Um, did, he, did he go properly tough. method? Did he sort of disappear to so. Ikea for the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Tried on a few different just stairs. see how the stairs and the furniture <laughs> moved. I wouldn't be surprised, actually. <laughs> that sounds like the most unusual class at Lambda <laughs> ever. No, I, at Lambda had we had our moments. Yeah, Did yeah, you? definitely. Um, I, I mean, there were definitely moments. I, I remember being at drama school and it was like one of my first weeks and there was a movement class and we were told to pick a sonnet from Shakespeare, pick two words out of any given sonnet. Uh, I chose angel and death. That I thought were very contrasting. I thought, great. She was like, okay, well, now we're going to phys physicalize these words. Uh, I was like, cool, cool, man. This is, you know, you really, really into it. You believe everything you, you, you hear. And, uh, and trust me, I learned a hell of a lot. Um, but I, I just remember being lied out on the floor with my eyes closed, as with everyone else in the class. And, uh, you know, you start m moving through your toes before you sort of say the word out loud. You start moving through your toes and then you take that word through to your kneecap and through to your fingertips and through your shoulders and your head. <laughs> now you can stand up, get on your knees, stand up, and now physicalise it in your whole body, you know, angel, uh, in my head. And she says, now start vocalising, start vocalising, you know, but as an angel word, so I'll go, yeah, angel, angel. <laughs> and then next to me was my big New Zealand like rugby player built mate who was going... Power, power, <laughs> and I was next to her, right next to her, going, "Angel, angel," and I opened my eyes and just went, 
what the hell am I doing right now? Like, it's the most. I was like, this must be candid camera somewhere. There's someone must be filming this. Like, what am I doing? If somebody, uh, if somebody did film those drama lessons and my, then waited for you all to get famous, do you know what I mean? I think they'd be I, you'd, able ma- to you'd win make it. a buck or two, you and really maybe would. that's what's going to happen in a few years. If I ever became famous, it, it's something that's going to creep out of the woodwork. But yeah, it's it was it was tough. It was there were definitely moments, or you know, animal studies, which again is some people find hugely hugely like uh, uh, sort of inspiring. You know, to find a character, you you sort of find an animal that you think that character is like. But there were just, I, I picked a turtle for the fact that it was the easiest. I thought, well, I'm just going to be in my shell for a little while. <laughs> and occasionally I'll pop my head out and move very softly. But then you had like people being llamas. You had, you, cho- you got to choose which animal you wanted to portray. I was like, why are you picking a difficult zebra? <laughs> like, what, is it, what makes a zebra different from a horse? You know? Yeah, like, you I thought of like a mountain goat would be a high risk Exactly right. <laughs> so you were something that had limited mobility. <laughs> exactly. I could do it in, in a very thinking. slow manner. I could just look at the floor, I didn't have to look up. You know, so if I laughed at other people, you know, it's fine. We had um, Imogen Poots on the podcast a few weeks ago, and she was telling us about one of her very unusual auditions. She was about sixteen or seventeen in a drama school, and she had to, uh, she had to act like she was in labour um, for this project. I can't remember if she got it or not. What's been the weirdest audition that you've had in your career so far? I've actually been quite lucky. I mean, I've heard some horror stories, but I think the worst I've done was uh, it was for it, at the time it was for a project called Birdsong, which later became a TV miniseries but I, I auditioned for the film like in my third year of drama school it was for a part that had two lines very small part I was really happy for like an audition uh, and the two lines were over seven pages so I had to in the audition <laughs> it wasn't entirely sure where the second line was I knew you know I got given the script on the day and sort of found the one line and I, I remember it was crawling through mine um, or one of, one of the, yeah, well, I, I, unfortunately, I wasn't even a bird. No, no, it wasn't that good. It was a guy who said no on one page, and then like seven pages later, went ah, they were my two lines. So <laughs> I, d- I, I sort of was sat at the table in this audition room with about eleven producers, directors, and all sort of like casting directors. Um, started crawling on the table. I started going. No! <laughs> Wait a sec. Turn the page. Nothing. Turn the page. Nothing. Turn the page. It went on and on. And eventually, seventh page. All right. Going to give him a cue. Yeah. Ah! It's like, come on. What can you do with that? Like, there's sat at a table trying to portray a person crawling through a mind. I mean, it was tough. But I've also heard Matthew McFadden told me this incredible story of this uh, audition that he'd done once. I think this he did it um, about him auditioning to be a like paratrooper in a film, or the character was like man whose parachute doesn't open. That was like the official <laughs> title of this character. No lines. They got him to mimic falling out of a plane or jumping out of a plane whose parachute doesn't open. That was all the character was. <laughs> Apparently, he auditioned for it. Did the stepping up to the plate or the stepping up to the edge of the door, jumping. But stood still. I mean, what could you do? So he's just stood still, waiting, waiting, kind of looking down below, pulls a shoe, you know, starts looking around and nothing's... I mean, there's nothing... I mean, what can you... There's nothing you could do in a moment like that. It's a nightmare. It's a Hamlet ad, isn't it? You just light your cigar. <laughs> get the music playing. Oh, this is my death. This is the last minute. Yeah. I wanted to... You mentioned um, Matthew McFad- McFadden, uh who you played a younger version of. Yes. In Any Human Heart, which is a lovely book and a great adaptation as well. And he, he, Sam Claflin becomes Matthew McFadden, who becomes Jim Broadbent. I wondered if you... Have you seen a picture of a young Jim Broadbent? Do you know what he do looks you know what, like? And, do, and do you know what's incredible? Yes, I have. Um, do, you, how, do you have any resemblance at all? Uh, no. <laughs> um, you know, in, in a good way for him, I'm pretty sure. But, like, it was... What's so funny is I used to be a caretaker at Lambda when I was, you know, to pay for my, to, well, pay for myself to live in London, basically. So, like, at the weekends and every evening after drama school, I'd go and lock the drama school, set the alarms and blah, 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 uh, do a lot of the cleaning up. And they asked me one day to kind of clean out these barrels um, 
that had all this sort of archived sort of information and audition notes from like I mean years ago, like to the nineteen twenties, kind of wow. that lo- that long ago. So I mean, there are so many famous people you kind of come come across and you read their their notes from the the teachers, um, like what they wrote in their audition. I mean, it's, it was the most incredibly like informative. And me and my friends took loads of pictures. I've since lost the phone, so I don't have the pictures anymore. But um, we came across Jim Broadbent's. Uh, audition notes. No, and I just remember, remember it saying, and J- Jim, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, uh, but it said, "Interesting looking, <laughs> amazing actor." Really? Yeah, it was like, but I was just like to write that on someone. Hmm, interesting looking, but amazing. You know, yeah. but I mean, the guy is incredible. Uh, but and there was a little sort of passport sized photograph wow. of him as a young man. That's pretty cool. But we knew that we had to give it away. We, we, we knew we had to give it back. We couldn't take that away. Yeah, we could have sold it if for a lot of money, on, I'm sure. If you'd seen him on any human heart and pulled it out. Look what I've got! Were you a turtle as well, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mockingjay, obviously, coming up. Have you actually finished work on that? Is, is it in stages? Do you have to go back for more? Because you've kind of got the hair. I, yeah, I, I'm literally having two days it? off. And no, we, we've, we've, I definitely wasn't allowed to film that, unfortunately. Um, but I'm still doing my biggest turtle impression. No, it's it's something that I am still, we're still very much in the fray of uh, filming. I, I literally have two days off to come and promote this and I go back tomorrow to continue filming. But it's it's going well. And what's great about it is, you know, being a big fan of the book and having like the image of how things end up uh, in my head. Like now I know, you know, I've seen, I've seen the final pictures of, or final moments of like, well, the final cut of so many things so far, and it's, it's really exciting. It's I'm very coming excited. together already, though. Slightly. Well, we have one coming out in November, so it's like they're already having to cut cut it as they go. I think it's quite a tough process. So, having to have got massively ripped for this movie to play <laughs> Finnick, did, what, did, what are you allowed to have for lunch today? Um, Does it have to be chicken? Uh, no, I've, I've be... done my. I've done my. You well, done no, right? I, I, can't, I can't say. I've done my um, I am safe. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm safe. But I've got more filming. But I'm safe. Okay. I Basically, my, my topless stuff is done. Uh, like, I, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about necessarily too much about what I eat. Okay. So not not an, a diet consisting entirely of cream cakes, but no, it's neither... I'm still behaving myself yeah. for future. You know, like, I, I'm kind of once a pop, I can't stop. You know, it's one of the things I, I don't want to completely indulge myself too much because I don't know what's around the corner and at the end of the day the producers could ask for something more and I go uh, <laughs> but the crispy cream I'm definitely not the finnick you cast right now <laughs> like, we have a uh, a Norwich City connection with with uh, Hugh Jackman who's been on the podcast talking about his affection unusually for Norwich City now you're from East Anglia I did not unlike Hugh, Hugh who's not I believe from East Anglia no he's a, he's, he is a Norwich fan I don't know I think he's even been to the ground I wondered you played Duncan Edwards in United, a yeah. Manchester United player, which Norwich City player would you want to play in a movie? Well, what's so crazy is my, my favourite player there was Darren Eady, who is a big, big... Well, he played for Norwich and is still a hero, a legend there, but then went to Leicester and has since become like really involved with celebrity.co.uk, uh, which is like this uh, sort of auction site for Prince's Trust and... Since he's got in touch with me, like, I mean, this guy was my hero. You know, I have photos of me and him, like me, like basically holding his hand, looking up to him, like lovingly. Like, I adored the guy. Um, and he recently found me on Twitter, and I was already following him on Twitter. And he found me on Twitter and added me, and was like, "Sam." Uh, and we got in touch, and I now have his number. And like, I'm like, you know, this guy is a hero to me. So, I, despite the fact, you know, I think he was a better footballer than I probably ever will be. Um, you know. It, He's a legend and I'd love to play him, I think. Awesome. And I also have the connection so I can get to know him properly and portray him. Yeah, exactly. Bingo. Bingo. Sam, Sam make it happen. Bingo. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you very much yeah. for having me. Nice guy? It was lovely. Yes, very, very sweet. One of these days you're going to say, no, they were horrible. Yeah, well, you know, keep keep hoping. But, um, but yeah, he's still, got his, uh, he's still got his Hunger Games hair and everything at the moment. He's still got the Finnick tan and the Finnick uh, highlights. Uh, which I think he was a bit self-conscious of. Was he busting out of his shirt? Uh, pretty much, yeah. But, you know, he, he made an effort to kind of squeeze himself into it. I bet he did. <laughs> okay, now it's time for uh, movie news. Lovely movie news. Helen, what do you have? 
Um, I have news that will bring either great joy or great trepidation to the hearts of sci-fi fans. The Battlestar Galactica film has been rumoured and talked about for quite some time. Uh, they've now got a new writer aboard, so it may be moving again. So uh, Transcendence writer Jack Paglin um, has been hired by Universal to start working on a new story for the film. Um, this <clears throat> does not appear to be anything to do with the the genius Ronald D. Moore Battlestar Galactica series. This is going back to first principles of the uh, of the show, uh, the sort of 1978 version where humans were battling the uh, Cylons while also looking for planet Earth. They were kind of on the run from the Cylons and looking for Earth. Ronald Moore's take on it was utter, utter, utter genius. And, um, and, you know, frankly, anybody who dares attempt it will, you know, have to live up to something very, very good indeed. Mm. However... Um, they're going to try anyway, so good luck with that. <laughs> We're ever optimistic. Here. I'm, I am trying to be optimistic. I, you know, listen. I, I'm, I'm well aware that there are potential uh, criticisms of the show's later seasons and the fact that it was, you know, it all got a bit confusing there at the end. Uh, but as long as there are characters like Starbuck uh, and Six in there, um, and you know, I'm kind of happy. Um, I'm going to stick with the Star Star theme, sure. sci-fi theme with Star Wars. Every day we seem to be getting a little bit more information and the newest information we have uh, is that Peter Mayhew seems to be coming back for um, the role of Chewbacca. He is 69 at this point, but he did say that he is uh, due to be filming this month, so there is uh, speculation that Chewbacca is returning. Obviously he was in Revenge of the Sith very briefly and to not much effect, but um, it might be good to see him back. An old grey Chewie, maybe some grey hair in there. I don't know. Yeah, it could work. But, you know, Wookiees have longer lifespans than that's true. Coaches, that's so true. And we saw the whole family the in the holiday special as well. So we they did could get a look in. We did. Poor old Lumpy. I just hope they don't kill him. What? I saw, I saw someone tweet the other day, uh, Mr. Beaks from Eight News. He went, "Now we're probably going to see Chewbacca die." And no. I just, I just, oh, I, I hope not. Chewbacca's my favorite character in Star Wars. I just hope they don't do it. I mean, I've got the, the Chewbacca dressing gown, the Chewbacca bag, the Chewbacca underpants. Uh, the Chewbacca smell. I've been working on that for ages, but it's I don't know. really coming along. Do <laughs> you, you, you like yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, really. Walking carpet. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Walking carpet by Givenchy. Um, it's. Uh, I don't know. It's. I just don't want it to happen. I don't want. I don't want anyone to die ever. If any, if you could work on that, scientists, if you're listening, uh, while well, also bringing back people, if you could just make it so that no one dies, that'd be great. Yeah, I think that's fine. fine. I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, but it's interesting. Mm. Do we want to talk about this mooted Goonies two? idea some guy called richard donner may have mentioned what's he ever done i know <laughs> may have mentioned that he has been considering this is all so many italics and inverted commas around this a sequel to the goonies now we don't have any more details than that and that isn't really a detail but how do we feel we need nick Dissemblian to react certainly let's let's i'll patch him in we we well, uh, I mean, maybe it'll, it'd be good. There was a there was a suggestion that the original Goonies would be the parents of a new generation of Goonies. Mm. It's not necessarily doomed to failure if something like that were to happen. It True. can be done well. Star Trek: The Next Generation, Goonies: The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't Data know. again. You know, it works. Does the Goonies brand still have cachet in today's for for the youth of today? Do they do they understand what, what Goonies is? And and more to the point, when you go back, I mean. I think we all probably grew up. Ben probably didn't. Ben grew up with movies like Transformers Three, um, <laughs> Parts of Caribbean Three, well. Parts of Caribbean, and, and Stranger Tides, which mm. I think is all the three basically. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we grew up with the Goonies, and we loved the Goonies when we were, when we were you know, in, in a certain age. And uh, and now, you go back and you look at it again; it's a bit rubbish. I, I thought it was a bit rubbish at the time. I loved it. I had the novelization. I, I watched it at least twice. It was really, really good. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I, a sequel might. I don't think it's going to happen for one thing. B, uh, I don't think they should do it. And C, if they do do it, I'm going to go back and my Chewbacca thing and I say they should absolutely kill one of them. <gasps> no. Not maybe kill... Not someone the- Someone should be dead off screen. Okay, fine. Maybe. You know, Never say st- die, Chris. Come on. Well, statistically, the law of averages would suggest in a group that large with a 30-year gap between them that at some point one of them would have died. Who would you kill off? Mouth. Well, okay. I mean, actually, I'm not going to argue <laughs> with that one because I don't care that much about the character. But... I, I mean, listen, the the way uh, 
Lord and Miller have kind of reinvigorated and breathed new life into various franchises of late and, mm. and also things that clearly shouldn't be adapted like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs or Lego and turn them into movies in the same way if you get somebody with a little bit of you know pizzazz to write the screenplay and, and really kind of think outside the, the box or the treasure chest if you will <laughs> mm. um, you could you could end up with something kind of cool Speaking you know? of Lord and Miller it is it has emerged that Ghostbusters 3 won't be helmed by them. They were in talks, uh, but they have backed out of that particular fire mm. station. So there you go. Um, you know, Ollie Richards was very enthusiastic about it, and I called it. They weren't going to do it. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing they're not doing it. What if they're doing Goonies too? Shut your mouth. Uh, that would be amazing. Um, anyway, uh, my one thing that I wanted to talk about was a Truman Show which I love unreservedly. I think it's fantastic. 1998 came out. That's a movie I've watched at least twice. No, it really is good. And obviously it starred Jim Carrey and really was so prescient about what came after it. It was, you know, years ahead, streets ahead it was. Uh, but now Paramount, as part of an ongoing push to take more properties onto telly, you know, a lot of people are doing this. Warner Bros. was doing a lot with Arrow and stuff like that with their DC Comic Universe and Vertigo and all sorts but Paramount are trying to do a similar thing and they've chosen the Truman Show so obviously irony all round but I can get it I feel like now wouldn't have been the time to really capitalise on it I feel not that it isn't still part of the zeitgeist I think people know the concept of the Truman Show but I think it would have been a better thing to do maybe when the Big Brother bubble hadn't popped it could be really interesting though because here's what always got me about uh, the film the ending is, is kind of portrayed as a happy ending that he gets out um, but what kind of life Mm. is that guy going to have and actually if it were me I mean you could maybe have a first series in the show to establish everything maybe uh, but I think what would be far more interesting is what happens to that guy next what happens when he leaves this incredibly controlled beautiful you know serene world and enters the real world and also it's a real world where everyone knows his face everyone knows his name everyone knows every detail of his life um, and I mean, in the show, it was weird. People were showing us clapping and cheering when he left the show. And I think if people had been obsessively watching this guy, you know, daily for his entire lifetime, there would actually be shock and horror and and loss on their part that they had lost this thing that they were very attached to. And I think there'd be anger against him when he got out. And I think there would be sort of there there'd be some really really interesting stuff to explore there. So maybe you need a first season where he's in the show and then mm. you go and do that, but definitely I wouldn't keep him in the show for more than one season. I think you'd see a lot of time with him and a psychotherapist. It'd be like the Sopranos, but it, it, oh yeah, you're right, he'd be messed up. There'd be lawsuits as well, mm. slavery maybe. I mean, there could be all sorts of interesting things to to kind of explore with it. Anyway, look, let's see how it goes, but just just to be aware of it, we'll obviously give you as much news as we get when we get it, but you know, that's on the cards. Paramount haven't confirmed actually whether it is the Truman Show, though it could be an actual Truman Show that they're Yeah, playing. people have presumed it's a type of Big Brother thing. I really hope they don't go down that road. Yeah. Because obviously then the forest will catch on fire and you'll have to turn around because there's a nuclear thing and, you know, it's not a road you go down. Uh, just a couple of other things very quickly. Uh, Roland Emmerich is uh, gearing up to shoot Stonewall and he seems to have got a lead in the shape of Jeremy Irvine. So that will be interesting. That's obviously the, the story of the Stonewall riots outside mm -hmm. the Stonewall Inn in 1969, seven? One of those years. Um, <laughs> one of those years, one of those years. Which was, a, which was a landmark moment in the gay rights movement because it was uh, it was a kind of a, a pushback by the gay community against uh, the cops that had been harassing them. Yeah, um, and, very interesting because uh, it's a, obviously a more personal film for Roland Emmerich he told me about it last year I yeah. think and he said it may happen for Independence Day 2 and clearly it is going to happen for Independence Day 2 it's just interesting to see a director who's, uh, whose movies have been rather impersonal going for something that's, that's close to his heart I think, I think actually his movies have been weirdly personal but always just on an enormous scale um, true yeah, yeah. This, this is a much much smaller more intimate story and I think uh, that will be really interesting to see what he does with it so yeah that's kind of uh, it's kind of exciting actually I'm a bit of a, an Emmerich apologist as you know so I can't imagine he'll be blowing anything up in this movie. Well, perhaps the prejudices of the day, Chris. Yeah, take that, prejudices. Uh, all right, so uh, what else do we have? The uh, Martian? There's a little bit, yeah, there's a little bit of news about uh, Drew Goddard. Um, uh, he has officially been confirmed for Sinister Six, the Spider-Man villain spin-off 
thing. Um, so he is off uh, a movie he was planning on doing called The Martian. But there is not all bad news for The Martian because there is rumors. There are rumors that uh, Matt Damon is interested in starring. Now that's probably not going to be confirmed until they have a confirmed director, because one imagines he won't want to sign on sight unseen, as it were. Um, but uh, you know, where one person leaves, another one may enter. All right, so that is it for the old movie news section. Now it's time for our second interview, and we're delighted to welcome a podcast regular, which is no mean feat given that he's based in Jakarta, and it's quite tricky to get to our pod booth. Uh, he's also a man who may well just be the best action director on the planet right now. He's Gareth Evans, of course, the Welsh director who made an astonishing splash two years ago with The Raid, and now follows it up this week with The Raid 2, a more sprawling, plotty, but no less brutal affair. He came in last week to talk to, well, me. Enjoy. Uh, delighted to be joined in the pod booth by the director of The Raid and The Raid 2, Gareth Evans. Hello, sir. You all right? Good to see you, sir. Good to be back. Good to be back. How are you feeling? This is this is your last interview on the UK leg of this tour. Is, is this... Yeah, so it should be really enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, you be like, <laughs> what's the question you've been asked most? How did a Welshman end up in Indonesia making martial arts movies? Are you still getting that? I'm going to fucking tattoo it on my chest. I need to have it done. <laughs> You should have like a storybook <laughs> yeah, and yeah, just yeah. laminate it and hand it out. <laughs> so people are still asking that. Yeah, I mean, uh, in an interesting way is like this when I was out in um, Japan doing promo for the first film. Mm. I've been asked that so many times because they were always going through like an interpreter, right? And so I was like, you know, messing around, joking around with the interpreter towards the end. And I said, okay, this is the last interview now. If somebody asks me that, I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to look at you and you can answer it automatically. <laughs> and she was like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. Because it completely <laughs> contravenes against the whole like, you know, Japanese polite society in that yeah. so she was bricking them and then the very first question was how did a Welshman end up in Indonesia making martial arts films and I gave her a look which for her lasted like an eternity but for me it was like about a split second before <laughs> I went so anyway how I ended up in Indonesia was this blah 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 have you embellished it over the years? Have you, uh, have you changed um, the story? No no I keep that one the same the one I embellish when people say like how did you meet Iko Mm. So I've started adding little things like, oh, yeah, I was prowling Craigslist to find an Indonesian boy. And then... <laughs> that's true, right? I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. Well, partly, yeah. Well, he hounded me, really, to be honest. The last time you guys were over here for uh, for the raid, uh, Eco was uh, still talking about maybe going back to his, his job as a... He was a phone technician or a phone engineer? Yeah, he was, he was, a, no, he was a delivery guy for phone delivery companies. Guy, yeah. He would like take documents back and forth between offices and branches and things. Mm. And uh, clearly he didn't go back to that. No. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> was that as a direct result? Did you lean on him in a way that, to tell him? Because you seem, you seem to be in very much... You've become not only a ball-busting, literally, brother to him, but uh, a mentor as well. Um, he's Yeah, he's like my little brother, really. Like, and, and it's one of those things, I mean, like, you know, any kind of, like, brotherly relationship, like knowing that I have an older brother myself is that idea of, you know, you, you want to look out for each other and you want to make sure that everyone's okay, that, that he's, he's on the up and up. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a good relationship where we've managed to keep both of our egos in check by hitting each other in the balls every now and then. <laughs> When did that start? Um, my 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 theory is that he started it first because I don't yeah. think me and Matt would have been the ones to start that off. And Matt being my DOP, I'm pretty sure he kind of like took a sort of sneaky swipe at Matt once when we were shooting Maranto, and so since then gloves are off, literally. <laughs> Amazing, but uh, but in terms, you said Derek, you keep each other's feet in the ground. Yeah, has that um, been tricky? Because you know, after after the raid. And after this movie as well, I mean, for God's sake, I introduced you last night as the best action director on the planet <laughs> at a Q and A. Yeah. So when you, when people are saying things like that, what does that do to you? I mean, you know, do um, you, I just cringe. I just uh, yeah. I just uh, shrink in myself because it's like for me, I, I'm I'm naturally pessimistic with things like that. So it's <laughs> like you know, it, for me, it's it's for me, all of the sort of like responses right now are great. But for me, it's like it's it's all like a preface for that real big fall. <laughs> that that's when it's gonna kick in. Um, but um, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where uh, I've wanted to do this stuff for a long time. I wanted to make films since I was a kid, mm. and so as a result of that, being able to do it and in the way that I've been able to do it, like it's such a freaky sort of set of circumstances mm. being over there making films and in a genre that's not really accustomed to you know white folk <laughs> um, it's like you know it's 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 it never loses its appeal like it all I always feel like every single day that we're on set it's you know and I know it sounds cliche to say it but it's 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 a fucking privilege I can't believe I get to call this work sometimes it's just yeah. ridiculous yeah but uh, how in a way your style how did your style evolve because most action directors these days or most action movies especially the ones that come out of Hollywood they still go for that very choppy 
mm. action where you you can you know they cut away an awful lot and you can tell there's the the, the actor it's not really the actors doing it it's a stuntman. How's your style, which is very very clean and uh, you you know where you are geographically at all times? How does that evolve? In initially, I mean, it came from that thing of you know um, watching like the great films like you know The Wild Bunch and you know Hard Boiled and The Killer watching all those movies and again a sense of clarity in terms of the action scenes and, and you know looking at them and analyzing them and trying to figure out what it is that still works about them because that finishing the fa- the final scene of the wild bunch mm. it's like 40 45 years old right now mm. and it still holds up it's yeah. still great and so for me like they must be doing something right and um you know i got tired of watching you know fast cut edits in action movies you know, you watch a movie where there's an edit now, even in drama, like sometimes an edit every two seconds or two seconds, and your eyes can't rest, and it, it's exhausting to watch. Mm. So for me then, it was like it was a combination of, you know, going back and watching those classic films, trying to analyze them, trying to figure out what it was that worked. But then at the same time, it, I think a lot of it stems from that thing of working with the choreography team from the beginning. Because then I'm able to see then, okay, what's their thought process going into each one of those moves? Why are they doing a punch here? Why are they doing a kick here? What's the approach in order for them to do that throw or that lock? Mm. And then once I can kind of see that and sort of like in minute detail, um, I'm not looking at it from a present from a presentation point of view anymore. Where I'm just trying to figure out like, okay, well, here's my master and here's my coverage. I'm looking for those shots which are going to tell the audience exactly what the choreography is. And um, you know, by guiding their eyes to it, it, it becomes more clear. Then that mm. you guys can follow it more and, and and appreciate it the same way that I get to appreciate it the first time I work with them. I don't feel like we did anything that innovative with it. Just took a step back, and you know, that's just my personal. It's always been my personal preference, anyway. It's interesting as well how how much you shy away from slow mo. Yeah, I only ever use slow mo usually for like a dramatic purpose. Mm. Like we never use it for um, to showcase a shot, never to show off like a movement that the guys do. Because like our our whole remit was that when we were do, doing the uh, the the first movie Miranda, it was to kind of reclaim Sealat. It was to kind of figure out a way to kind of you know take it away from what it was back then, which is terrible TV, horrible version of like you know Sealat guys in robes jumping up into the sky, turning into a jaguar, shitting out the fireball. And um, that sounds great. Uh, yeah, I know. That's how I'm bored. <laughs> Sign me up. With beers on a Friday night, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but the problem was is that it kind of had this th- this effect where when we were doing the first film and we were trying to pitch it to people, mm. man, they were like laughing us out the door. They they'd ridiculed see that because it just wasn't respected at all. And then all of a sudden, now we're in a position where you know there's there's about another two or three four action films to be made in Indonesia now, and they're mm. all about martial arts or gunplay in some way. So yeah, there's um, there's potential for it to expand more now. There's an amazing nightclub uh, mm-hmm. showdown. Uh, I won't say who's involved necessarily, yeah, yeah. but it's 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 phenomenal. Just a sheer amount of people attacking one guy, and you, the way you use the location. Can you talk about that? Because the raid was so intense yep. and so claustrophobic. Yeah, well, for that one, it was one of those things where we designed a fight first, and we had an idea of what the fight should be, what the choreography should be. But that one we improvised a lot. Like we would shift choreography around, we would shift like you know shots around and, and the order and the structure of things around. Because when we got to that location, suddenly we see all these like tiered balconies everywhere, mm. and they just looked beautiful. It looked really nice, and I was like, you know, we'd be wasting our entire time here if we didn't make use of that location. So then suddenly. We are adding stuff on set, last minute, changing things around, making full use of the whole architecture of it. And it was, you know, it was important. Like, so when you cut to that scene, one of the first shots before the guys come out and fight is a massive wide shot where we show the entire layout of the nightclub. Hmm. So we get to see it full, empty, no people there. Yeah, yeah. So then all of a sudden you know now, okay, so down here is where the bar is, down here is where the dance floor is, over here is the exit points, and over here there's another opposite uh, tiered area. And so we we're able to make use of that. Then we we're able to get into the thick of the fight. Then people already know where everything is. And so, yeah, it kind of boosts uh, the the feel of the scene and the intensity of it. But also, the audience has a geographical knowledge of it. You're nearly done with the uh, with the, the UK junket. And that's 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 nearly it. So you're nearly done with the raid two. Are you thinking about raid three? I have ideas. Yeah. Mm. So. Um, <laughs> and we talked about this last night in the Q and A, right? Uh, we did, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you're going to get my uh, my, my standard answer. No, no, no. It's not, I, I'll try and give you a little bit more. Yeah, we make it <laughs> special this time. There'll be no hand gestures, no, <laughs> no sort of like you know uh, standard sort of ways of saying it. It's it kind of go back to Back to the Future. Um, so you know, Back so to Wild the, West. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
Doc is gonna shoot the shit out of uh, Iko. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Have you seen the YouTube clip? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. So, alright. I'm gonna say a joke first. If you oh. laugh and you get it, okay. then you've seen it. All right. So we're gonna have a scene basically in the Ray Three where Ram is gonna be stood there and then his kid is gonna be in the background of the shot and then suddenly the kid's just gonna point at his penis. <laughs> what? Okay, you don't no, get I it. Haven't seen it. I'll explain it now it. because right, okay. um, some of your viewers might get it. <laughs> if you watch Back to the Future 3 and you go on YouTube... Yes, yes, yes. There's a at scene the in the train, right? At the end, yes. With Doc and his kids and the kid, yes, and the kid points just... at his fucking penis. Yeah. It's the, the bizarrest thing I've ever seen. With a big shit-eating grin on his face. <laughs> I know. Like, it's amazing. I've just pointed at my penis. It's so strange. Like, I want to know what went on in that kid's life, why he did that on <laughs> on the set of, like, a huge film. It's like, I can't... Like, it's like, well, what's the thinking behind it? It's amazing. It's also, Incredible. If that's the one that made it in, what didn't make it in? I know. <laughs> and what I want to know is, like, there must have been a point where they noticed it, because, like, you know, when you're editing, you watch things like a thousand times, and then eventually you start, you start pick, paying attention to the people in the background. Yeah. Like we did that in the prison riot. Like there'd be shots in the prison riot where, um, when you're shooting it, it's just like, okay, are the foreground guys good? Great. Okay, good, done. And then you walk it and you see the background guys, and then the background guys suddenly you're like. 10 views later you're like oh fuck look at these guys in the background look what they're doing and like you know, it's terrible it's so bad so sometimes we do digital zooms to reframe and fix oh, sweet. Um, in yeah. the toilet fight we had this one guy who was so bad in the background of a shot that we digitally painted him out and replaced him with a wall and the floor <laughs> yeah so poor bastard no fuck him he, 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 he cost me a shit ton of VFX money but um, yeah, Fair so enough. there you go. So Fair we're enough. not on the standard answer yet, but I'll jump in now. Now I can do my standard part. Oh my god! So the rate three is it's that idea of like okay. So the the thing with Back to the Future was that thing of it was always continuous. It was always feeling like the story kept going. Mm. Didn't matter how far apart those films were, you felt like you were watching one continuous story. But what I want to do for the rate three to make it slightly different is that thing of jumping back in time to this like one of the scenes mm. with one of the gangs when they make a decision on something. And we follow the fallout from that, so we branch off to follow their story for a bit. Mm. So you got a time frame? I have a time frame on this one. Um, maybe two years, three years down the line, I'm going to make that one. But what I haven't told anyone yet, and I'm telling you now, you. is that um, I'm going to make that one back-to-back with another martial arts action film I want to do with Eco in Indonesia as well. So we're going to shoot two films back-to-back that year. And then I'm going to spend an entire year and a half on post-production where I get to sleep normal hours. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Because I imagine you haven't had a break for, what, two, three years, something like that? Yeah, I think think the last time I I had a decent night's sleep... um, I think it was probably just after the World Cup. I think so. <laughs> nah. nah, it was all good. <laughs> Luckily, there's another one coming up. You can get yeah, exactly. Sleep. Yeah, plenty of sleep for that one. Um, I just want to dwell for it, uh, but the Ray Three will that involve Eco or will it not? If you're shooting something back to back with Eco, if you don't want to say, honestly, don't say. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm not going to say for that. One, don't actually. worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Surprises. Now, yeah, no, no. Let's keep that one under the uh, under the old hat for the time being. Uh, but so, what is next for you then? Before those two epics, in the immediate future, we're going. To, I'm doing like producing for that film I mentioned earlier with Timo, mm-hmm. and that one's we should be finished with that one by November this year. But then next year, then um, I'm at the moment I'm in early development on two projects. One is uh, with Universal to do in the UK, um, and that one's a sort of um, it's a true story about an MMA fighter and the biggest cash robbery in UK history. Mm-hmm. And then after that, which, by the way, is, is this is an incredible story, by the way. It's like it's just insane. The stuff that went on is crazy. So I'm I'm really excited about that one. And then other than that, then I also have another project in development that's with MRC for me to do out in the US. Mm-hmm. And that's like a sort of like a, a, an American gangster action film that I'm writing myself called Blister. And um, for that one... Um, I mean, I told Matt about the idea I had for that shot in the Raid 2 with the camera going out of the car and going into the other car. He called me a maniac. And then recently I told him my ideas for Blister for this one shot idea that I have where like, I think he might now be considering my friendship with him. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Was well, it involved? Is it long? Is it both? Is it mayhem? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's probably the most ambitious thing we'll have done. Okay. So we'll see how it goes. That's That sounds something. And uh, so apart from... 
uh, weeping when Everton don't make the Champions League. Uh, do you know? With, uh, <laughs> do you have a time frame for those? Do you know when which one might go first? Those two. Um, right now, it's hard to tell because it, it's one of those things where they're both in different stages in development, and it's like whichever one goes first, really. Like I'm passionate about both, so mm. yeah. <laughs> so if they are listening, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Grant, listen, Gareth, man, I'll let you go. Cheers, man. Thanks again pleasure. for having me. Cheers. Thank you. Gareth Evans there, lovely, lovely chap, and I wish him all the best, despite being an Evertonian. Uh, okay, so let's start with The Raid 2, which was called The Raid 2, but Rand Albert is now just called The Raid 2. Uh, what do we make of this one, Helen? Uh, well, this one, I mean, the, the Raid, for those who have seen it, you won't need reminding, um, was basically a sort of a, a very contained affair. It was a SWAT team fighting their way up a, a building to get to the guy they were after on the top floor. Uh, this one is less contained. Um, it, it's much more kind of sprawling, much more epic, uh, much, much larger in its ambition. So we start literally a couple of hours after the end of the last film um, and uh, and we kind of follow on from there. It, it, new characters are introduced um, and our hero, Eco-Wise Rama, um, is uh, sent undercover, basically. He's, he's prevailed upon to go undercover into a, a, a really brutal prison um, to befriend the son of a, of a crime boss um, and make himself indispensable to him. But this is like no short-term assignment. We're talking like a two-year kind of deal here in this in this prison, trying to uh, trying to establish his cover identity um, and then get in with this uh, with his crime family when he gets out, which is obviously no easy thing for a family man with a young child. And uh, and and it goes on from there. And it turns out this crime family have competition for their for their territory. So there's various kind of political shenanigans. There's almost a godfatheriness. Um, about quite a lot of, of the, the, the kind of behind the scenes stuff. And then there's the action, which is, oh my God, action. This is like nothing you've seen, certainly since the raid and possibly <laughs> not even there. Um, there are some bits of unparalleled brutality um, uh, and then other bits of, you know, absolutely astonishing human athleticism and ability and, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous shooting of really, really awful things sometimes. Mm. So it is absolutely brutal. It is absolutely uh, gory at times. Um, there's a girl with two hammers who uses the claw ends as well as the uh, hammer ends. Hammer girl. Hammer. Well, yes, but, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, there, there is some very inventive use of sports equipment. Um it is it is some seriously seriously violent stuff, but uh, it is never less than brilliantly done. Agreed. I mean, I was on set with this one, so I won't talk too much about it. Um, having said that, sometimes you go on a set and you come away with an idea of what a film's going to be, and then the film disappoints. In this case, it, it didn't. Uh, I saw some fight stuff going on when I was on in, in Chicago last year that just looked amazing and the finished product turned out to be even more amazing it, 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 the action sequences in this this movie are astonishing I don't call Gareth Evans the best action director on the planet right now lightly when there are people knocking around like called James Cameron and Edgar Wright and John Woo and whatnot. Uh, but he's I've seen very very few directors including the likes of Peckinpah in this who stage action with such clarity uh, it's mm. astonishing. You never lose sight of where the protagonists are and the antagonists are in a sequence. You never lose sight of what's happening. He doesn't go for that. Uh, everything's beautifully, classically shot. We discussed it a little bit in the interview about his his style and how he manages to get such clarity of image. But it is amazing, the sheer amount of mayhem and the visceral uh, nature and the impact of, of many of these sequences, all of which are... are are, are I think almost a level above what happens in the raid in terms of the drama of the scene and in terms of the uh, the choreography of the scenes. It's just it's just mind blowing, and I, I I cannot wait to see what this guy does. Uh, you know, with a, with a major major budget, if he ever decides to go down that that route, it's astonishing. It, there there are elements of we gave it four stars in Empire. Um, I think our, our our reviewer and a few people felt that the the the. The drama doesn't maybe work quite as well as the as the action sequences. It's, a, it's very intricate. It's, it's very complex. There are a lot of characters. Uh, Eco Wise's Rama does get shoved to the sidelines, which is a deliberate decision on Gareth Evans' part, but maybe doesn't work entirely well because you know he does become very much in the periphery of action for for a while, um, and you don't really get a sense that his job is corrupting him in any way, which is uh, something that I think there is a theme that was that you know they were trying for, that Gareth was trying for. It doesn't quite entirely work, but the action here, especially the last 40 minutes, which is just a brutal, mm. brutal onslaught, has uh, some of the best fight sequences uh, you will ever see. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I think that the widening out the scope does inevitably lead to a, a slight lack of focus in terms of 
you know, the, 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 the last one was so tightly plotted and so tightly wound. When you widen the scope out in the way that they have, and they've widened it hugely, mm. you do lose a little bit of, of that focus and that kind of drive at times in the middle of the section. But my God, the ending. And, um, you know, it's not all just, uh, we, sh- we should say, it's not all just martial arts fighting. No, um, there's an incredible car chase in there. There's yeah. uh, there's some astonishing gun work. There's just everything. It's, it, it, the, the action start to finish is brilliant. It's but the, that, but the, the drama scenes, uh, f- for what for what they are, show to me that there is an amazing filmmaker besides an actual filmmaker in here uh, in the opening shot it's just a, a meticulously it's, everything's meticulously framed beautifully paced uh, and uh, you know there, there's there's real ambition here yeah. he may not entirely achieve everything he's trying to set out in terms of the drama in terms of the ambition but uh, you know, kudos to him for trying and I think the action sequences are just absolutely astonishing uh, the oof oof Oh my God! Count in this movie is is higher than it was in the raid, and that is saying something. So four stars for the raid two, and you know if you love the raid, you will love this movie. It's as simple as that. Okay, so let's move on now to Calvary, the second film. The team writer directed John Michael McDonough and star Brendan Gleeson, following the brilliant The Guard, which we gave five stars to. Uh, this is no less Irish in that movie, but much more serious. It follows Gleeson's priest as he tries to figure out which member of a small town parish uh, has just threatened to kill him. This is uh, bloody brilliant, frankly. Kind of the the opposite of the guard in some ways. That was an, an incredibly cynical character surrounded by less cynical people, uh, generally quite nice people. This one is a really, really good man, totally surrounded by, by horrible people. Everybody hates him. Everyone basically holds this priest responsible for essentially everything that the the church, catholic church has done wrong in the past uh, you know forever which in fairness is quite a long list of things and he's basically sort of struggling to do the best he can and do the best he can for his parishioners and and try and you know for example mediate in in a marital dispute he's trying to um, he's trying to help people out with their with their problems. He's trying to take confession. He's trying to. He is also a, a literal father uh, in the sense that he has a daughter. Um, he, he entered the priesthood late in life, so he's trying to be a good father to Kelly Riley's character when she comes to visit. Um, but he's being pulled every which way, and of course, hanging over his head from the very first moments of the film is the fact that someone has told him that they're going to kill him in a week's time. He knows who it is, but, but we don't. So for the audience, it's kind of a who's going to do it. Uh, rather than a whodunit. The film basically gives us no end of suspect because everyone is kind of vile to him, hmm. really. Um, but having said that, you know, this is a McDonough movie and as with all of their, of both John McDonough's movies and, and his brother Martin's, there's, you know, there's humour in there as well as uh, as well as the, the drama and as well as the kind of the darkness. And it is a very, very funny film at times as well. It's also worth seeing for Brandon Gleeson's magnificent stripy beard. <laughs> Genuinely, like this kind of incredible salt and ginger confection. Ah, oh, it's wonderful. He also, like, he wears his uh, his surplice, his his kind of uh, robes, mm. the whole way through, uh, kind of setting him apart a little bit more. He, you know, visually, you never forget for a second this guy is is a priest, and uh, and that's kind of an interesting choice to make. Priests don't generally do that nowadays. That would be an ecumenical matter. It would actually. Yes. Uh, Five stars then to Calvary. Yes. Amazing. It's wonderful. Amazing film. The cracking, cracking uh, second film then from these two. We look, can't wait to see that they're going to do another one. They are. It's called The Lame Shall Enter First. And yes. we won't say the name of what they're calling the trilogy. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to... give things away. It might, although John McDonough argues it's not a spoiler. So I'm going to put that... I've got an interview of his. We're putting... We're, it's going to be up on the site by the time you listen to this. All right. I'll put it in spoiler text, but I will yeah. put it in the interview. So if I, you're interested, have a look at that. It, uh, the Guardian had an interview with Brenton Gleeson this yeah. week. And they... they they used, printed it. They, they yeah. printed it. But yeah. you know, hey ho. Uh, so yeah, wait, wait, go wait. See. Is, is the trilogy called like Snog Mary Kill or something? The the trilogy is called uh, it, it it's it's called the this is what the end is. Essentially, yeah. Amazing. Essentially, the the all go home in a giant big balloon. Yeah, exactly. Trilogy, yeah, yeah. So uh, okay, five stars then for Calvary, uh, and then let's move on to the next one. We're probing deeply or deeply ish, uh, which is the Quiet Ones, the Hammer horror film with Sam Claflin and Jared Harris as a group of paranormal investigators investigating paranormal stuff. <laughs> I can't sum it up much more succinctly than that. So is it the British Ghostbusters? It's British Ghostbusters with a little bit of paranormal activity, uh, The Last Exorcism and other things like that. Well, it's not quite 
It's a bunch of medical researchers. Is it you again? It is me again, Bloody yeah. hell. No one else saw anything this week. All right, okay. Basically a bunch of medical researchers in 1970s Oxford University led by Jared Harris's professor slash almost cult leader. He's got a is real... Is his name? Of, professor slash almost cult leader? Yes. Mm. He it's is ominous. A, it is know, ominous, it? Yeah. yeah. Foreshadowing. <laughs> so he basically is determined that... He thinks there is a way to, uh, to to trace people's mental disturbances and cure them through sort of electrical impulses and envisioning what's going on um, around their head. And he has this very disturbed girl who he thinks this treatment can cure. And he's, he's all fired up. He's like, if we can cure this, we can cure everybody's mental illnesses and everybody will be well and Hooray! happy and everything is wonderful. Uh, of course, what he doesn't consider is the possibility that maybe her disturbance is in fact paranormal oh my god yeah and it totes is um, totes. so when they go off to a house in the countryside so it's basically uh, Sam Claflin plays it, a cameraman Brian recruited from the town they've got a couple of uh, students there as sort of you know nurses slash orderlies slash whatever they'll go off to this big scary house in the country and of course big scary things start to happen to everyone and the, the question is you know there's an interesting question over this this patient at the whole heart of it you know is she doing stuff is she malignant is she is she a good person who's just afflicted what's going on Hammer's got a really good record on this because this is a Hammer horror film of their new revival and they've done quite surprisingly well really they've did well let me in I personally hate but it sort of did quite well and um, but the Women in Black was station was and, and Women in Black did really really well so I mean is this mm. kind of continuing their return to form it's it's okay um, I would say rather than a storming success, I think the Woman in Black is is much more successful in the, in terms of scares. This one felt a little bit chopped up to me. It felt like there were some scenes that they'd shot and then cut out, and and everything didn't quite always hang together as a result. Um, the the pacing's a little funny. I think you you get you know quite relatively few scares, and then suddenly everything goes really scary towards the end. Um, and it's it's a little bit kind of it's a little bit patchy. For me, but but good performances, beautifully shot, looks really really cool, kind of seventies kind of a a feel to it, which is a bit more interesting than the, the usual find footage kind of movie, um, and and it's an interesting idea. It's like oh we're 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 treating this as a mental illness, but is it really kind of a thing? So so yeah, so we give it three stars, and that that feels about right to me. Okay, fantastic. So also out this week is the Norwegian thriller Pioneer, which stars Axel Henny, last seen covering himself in poo in Headhunters, uh, and that gets uh, three stars. Also, there's uh, The Last Days on Mars, which is a fairly ambitious but ultimately disappointing The Thing Meets 28 Days Later kind of movie on Mars, starring Liev Schreiber, the spelljack nemesis, and uh, Olivia Williams, and that gets two stars, which is just about right. There's also B.E. Bandele's adaptation of Half of a Yellow Sun, which features great performances from Joseph Moll, Chiwetel Ejiofor, his first movie post uh, 12 Years a Slave, although he shot it before 12 Years a Slave, and Tandy Newton. We gave that two stars. Sadly, it's very, very pretty, well acted, but not much more to it beyond that. And then there's also The Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears, which sounds like a filled assembly special. Uh, it is a brilliant, a mysterious, and disorienting blend of giallo violence, cinematic experimentation, a Lynchian psycho horror, not my words but the words of Kimothy Newman. Uh, and we gave that four stars. So uh, there you go. A hell of a week at the old multiplex or indeed art house cinema of your choice. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be talking Amazing Spider-Man 2 and much, much more. There's also an Amazing Spider-Man 2 spoiler podcast coming up with producers Avi Arad, Matt Tomac, who are due into this booth any second now, and uh, director Mark Webb which is very, very exciting. Until then, it is goodbye from... What's your name again? Helen. Helen. Hi. Helen. Bye-bye. It's goodbye from you. It's goodbye from Ali. Bye-bye. It's goodbye from Ben. How was it? How was it? It was good. It was my you first time. It? You were very yeah. gentle. I enjoyed yeah. it. Gentle, Ben. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to resurrect Barbara Windsor. It doesn't matter that she's not dead. Just go with it. See you next week. Bye. Bye.